call this meeting to order. And I have a new roll call list without all of my cross-offs and write-ins. It's all in alphabetical order. It's going to be very easy. Um, Michael Anderson, not here. Einan Lynch, here. Frazier. Present. Gade. Here. Grimm. Here. Harrelson. Here. Murray. Here. Shetty. Here. Silman. Smith. Here. <laughs> Sturdivant. Here. All right. And staff, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sarah Gardner. Daniel Bissell. Megan Hill. Great. Next, we will approve the minutes from December 4th, 2023. Are there any comments or amendments needed? If none, is there a motion to approve? I shall move. Frazier. Gade, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 <laughs> Opposed? <laughs> All right, great. Minutes approved. Next is public comment for items not on the agenda. Are there any members of the public who would like to address the commission? <laughs> All right. Let's move on to announcements. All right, as promised, we want to welcome two new members to the Climate Action Commission, one of whom unfortunately couldn't be here today, um, though those of you who were here in February had a chance to meet Michael Anderson. Um, I, we thought it'd be a good idea to let Zach introduce himself and then do a quick round of introductions around the room so that everybody knows everybody. So. Yeah, great. Uh, nice to meet everyone. I'm Zach Harrelson. Uh, I work at Collins Aerospace. I did my PhD in physics here at the University of Iowa uh, back in 2017. And from there, I've kind of bounced around. I uh, worked for a while on a fusion energy project uh, and kind of considered that my climate, climate action for a while, but then moved back to the Midwest. And so was very excited to find new ways to, to contribute on climate action. Um, and so in 2022, I did the Climate Ambassador Program, started learning more <clears throat> about what the city is doing, uh, and just got kind of amped up, excited about all the stuff that's going on here, and, and just wanted to continue contributing. So excited to be here. Notably, Zach has taken a, a tour. We offered tours last year for climate ambassadors, and he's been to our transit facility. So I think him more than most, or he more than most, uh, can be excited with us that we're going to be building a new facility because he has seen all the ways the other one is sinking. Absolutely, yeah. And the water treatment plant, and I'm always uh, excited for more of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, too, if there's opportunities. We just go around. Sure. Uh, my name is Angie Smith. I've been on the commission since like October or something, so I'm still a relatively new member. I've lived in Iowa City um, for like 23 years or something like that, but I grew up in Iowa. Uh, I am an, a bike 
enthusiast. I am officially one of the 2024 bike ambassadors. So Iowa City has a bike ambassador program. And um, so I really think a lot about how transportation carbon emissions could be offset by some active transportation modes. So that's probably the thing I'm most passionate about, but climate overall, yeah. Hi, Zach, welcome. <clears throat> I'm Brenda Shetty, and I'm a program manager at the Office of Sustainability and the Environment on campus here, the University of Iowa. And I'm serving as a representative of the university, but I've been in Iowa City for about 10 years now. And of course, very interested in climate and all the action that's happening here. Hi, I'm John Fraser. I'm not sure I'm smart enough to talk to you. <laughs> uh, I'm retired from the Navy, retired from a man refrigeration, retired from the University of Iowa, and now I'm just tired. Uh, am I the only one left from the committee? From the original committee, yes. Where we became a commission, because I believe so strongly in this, but I'm the, also the oldest guy, not only in the room, but maybe in the county. So I. I want to do as much as I can, but I don't want to take a spot from somebody smart like you. So I don't know how long I'll cling to this, but uh, we're really glad to have somebody with your background on the commission. Thank you. Uh, so I'm Ben Grimm. I work for the school district. Um, I'm the sustainability representative for the operations side of things, but I'm a horticulturist by trade. Um, so that's kind of where my expertise is. Um, I think this is sort of my second term. Um, on this this committee and so yeah, that's about it hi nice to meet you i'm jamie gade and i'm public health systems analyst at johnson county public health um but i've i've been in the county uh, man since i graduated college here but um yeah i'm excited to have you on i don't really know what else i want to tell you but <laughs> hi welcome i'm wim murray i'm the mid-american energy representative and i've been at mid-american energy 10 years but i've been in iowa city for 20 plus, I can't really count how many years I went to school here. Um, and uh, really excited to have you here. Maybe pick your brain about fusion energy a bit. <laughs> For sure. Teach us all you know. <laughs> I'm Michael Einan Lynch, um, currently the chair, but we'll be electing new chair and vice chair today. Um, and I um, founded a nonprofit called Resilient Sustainable Future for Iowa City. We work on building long term community resilience, specifically here. Um, and another, when I uh, started a group with Brenda called Transition Towns Iowa City, and we've uh, started the repair cafes that work on repairing broken things with volunteers. Um, I'm Gabe Sturdivant. I uh, self-employed photographer, videographer, and I'm going back to school for my master's in fall so, in sustainable development. So nice to meet everyone. <laughs> We're just so glad to have you all on the commission. Thank you for your time and talent. Uh, next up, we have our annual commission bylaws reminder. Uh, at the beginning of the year, when we bring on new members, um, the last few years, we've started getting in the habit of just running through highlights of the bylaws as a reminder of why we're all here together. Um, and it's been a useful reminder, I think, even for returning members just to recenter ourselves on the mission. So, um, Michael, you have that, and we'll hand it over to you. Yes. I will not read you this whole thing, but um, just do a brief reminder of some of the most important things of our bylaws. Um, first of all, our main purpose is to enhance and enable further community efforts to achieve the city's ambitious climate goals. Our main duties are to advise the city council on climate issues, 
research, analyze, and promote climate actions with particular attention to equity, educate and engage with the public on climate action and, in, and the city's climate and sustainability goals, assist city staff, city council, and members of the community with implementing approved initiatives that support the city's climate and sustainability goals, including all of the plan activities, and recommend to the city council updates to the climate action and, and adaptation plan. The rest of the bylaws deal with rules around having a chair and vice chair, which is basically that we are elect, we do this at the beginning of the year every year. Um, how to deal with absences. So if any member who misses three meetings in a row without prior approval or excused absence, uh, the commission must recommend the city council discharge that member. So if you're gonna miss a meeting, please get approval from Sarah Gardner. Um, Discusses quorum. Basically, six or more members make a quorum. Voting is done by simple majority. And then there's a long bit about how to make recommendations to council. Um, first of all, the council receives all of our minutes so that in their packets, so they're up to date on anything that goes in our minutes. But we can write longer memos if there is something particular we want them to know or consider. Ooh. Cover it. Yeah, um, and I don't think this is an issue now that we no longer have hybrid meetings, but just a reminder that quorum is six people physically present. Um, and this question has come up uh, just on some of the requests for absences recently. Um, if you are late to a meeting, that's totally fine. Um, so long as we have quorum, uh, you just get to get folded in seamlessly. If for some reason we only had six people in the room and uh, somebody had to leave early, at that point we would no longer have quorum, so we would have to end the meeting. So leaving early, weirdly, is a bigger issue than arriving late, though hopefully you'll all be here for the full 90 minutes. And you'll be like, why did Sarah even mention that back in February? Uh, next up on the agenda, we have just uh, two reminders that have come to us um, actually from our legal office, one of which I believe you may have all received a memo emailed to you just about signature blocks. Um, and of course that is just, um, it's really an issue of making sure people aren't uh, inadvertently or on purpose um, abusing the position that you all are in implying in some way that you know you speak on behalf of the Commission and so this person better give you a discount on that used Nissan Leaf or what have you <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other is a reminder that didn't merit a memo, but I was just asked to remind everyone um, to make good use of the microphones that whenever you speak to lean into them. Um, that is so that folks who listen to the recordings of the meeting afterward can hear everything that everybody said. You all do great at that, so not a big deal. Maybe along with that, a reminder for the minutes to say your last name before you begin talking so that Diane can better record who said what. Yeah, very helpful. Thank you. Um, and then action items for the last meeting. Um, we talked about having a representative of an industrial entity attend a, a future meeting. Um, we have are in contact with two folks from P&G, uh, Procter & Gamble, who are gonna come to a future meeting. We're just trying to get schedules aligned to work, on, or work out a date, but you can look forward to that presentation in the future. 
And then um, you all were supposed to muse upon who you might like to elect or nominate to be uh, chair and vice chair for this coming year. So hopefully you all have given that a little thought. And uh, we purposely put that at the end of the agenda so that our new members have a chance to at least hear commission members talk through a full meeting so you feel like you're casting a meaningful vote and not just, yeah, sure, that, that dude. <laughs> so cool. Um, the next item is uh, just a really an update to the commission. Um, at our last meeting in December, we discussed a new program that the city was rolling out, our whole home electrification program. Uh, no sooner was that memo inked than uh, we received a phone call from uh, the Mayor's Innovation Project who had been reading about it. They got wind of it from Rewiring America and the two organizations together um, offered to fly a representative of the city out to the Conference of Mayors to talk about the program. So I actually went out to D.C. a few weeks ago um, and took along slides and information about that program and was able to talk about it, which on the one hand, um, it's a little weird to talk about a program that you are just now rolling out and can't actually point to a house that has successfully adopted it. On the other hand, what an amazing opportunity to encourage other communities to consider doing the same. So um, we know, I know that in our last meeting we talked about one of the goals for Iowa City's Climate Action Plan is to serve as an example for other communities. And we said that we hoped this might be um, an opportunity to do that. And boy, did we not know how quickly that would arise. So thank you again for your support of such an innovative program um, from us and other communities. And then we're just going to touch lightly on the urban heat island map report that was included in your agenda packet. Um, I, you all heard many updates uh, throughout last year about how we recruited volunteers to go out and collect the data points. Do we remember off the top of our heads how many data points were collected? I do not do. No. I remember it being in the tens of thousands. Like um, every volunteer on every route took, you know, basically a measurement a second for the entire hour they were out. Um, and Kappa Strategies, which was the organization charged with analyzing those results, um, returned to us this report at uh, just in the beginning of January, correct? Yeah. So we wanted to include it into the packet so that both you and City Council could see the final report and the final recommendations. We've taken the map data that they provided us and um, have created a little map in-house that now uh, will be up on our uh, Keep Cool Iowa City webpage um, under the Climate Action webpage so others can access that information. And actually, just last week, I was contacted by a community member who was aware of that program and was thinking, uh, had been thinking a lot about um, ways that they could help support the city's efforts around climate action or around uh, addressing heat island and had questions about applying for a climate action grant so um, that data is already out in the community and being used by our very thoughtful residents and thinking about ways of engaging the solutions so that's really that's really great um, I did want to pause and see if anybody had any questions having glanced through the report before moving on this is Sturdivant. Um, I didn't have any questions. I just thought they did an amazing job. I've seen their other reports, and it, it's, you know, online with what they did in, like, Los Angeles and stuff. So if you have time, definitely read through it. It's well worth the 20 minutes it takes to read through it. But that's my recommendation. This is Einan Lynch. Um, was there – I don't know if I just, like, read it wrong. It seemed like at the end it said next steps, and that, and then there was, like – 
told you about, said there was a plan, you could get a plan of action. Do we have a plan of action or that's like a further thing we could do with them? That's a further thing we could do with them. We okay. could line up some funding for it. Um, in our office, we sort of felt like we had a bit of an action plan for how to address it and didn't necessarily need to contract out for it. Although we do remain in communications with Kappa Strategies, there's a couple other offerings they have that are of potential interest for us. So um, we may we may work with them again in the future. We'll see. But um, I will say one of the things we're doing to follow up with that. I think one of our big takeaways is just how much interest there is in this kind of data collection as a way of assisting with our climate action strategies. And uh, we've remained in communication with the NOAA office, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration office that um, supported this effort with us. Um, and Megan actually is in the process now of putting together a second training this summer um, that won't be looking at heat data, but actually will be providing training for residents to in be engaged with precipitation data gathering. And unlike uh, Spot the Hot, which was a one-day intensive event, um, the precipitation training will be about collecting precipitation data daily over the course of, for the foreseeable future, which of course is very helpful. So um, it's, a, it's a related effort, I'd say. Just to follow up on, when you say we already had a plan, do you mean like the, the climate action plan already kind of addresses the heat, uh, hot areas, or do you mean we had like a more specific plan for addressing heat islands? Um, I, so we do have provisions in the climate action plan, particularly the adaptation section that think about urban heat islands without, um, doesn't always use that term, um, but there are provisions in there talking about it, particularly our tree related efforts, um, but also internally, um, the Climate Action uh, Division has plans for the coming year about, you know, we built out the Keep Cool Iowa City uh, webpage on, as an addition to the city's website. Um, it includes information about where to find cooling centers and high heat awareness activities. Megan did a great job last year of developing um, inf like educational packets that could be distributed at the library and other events um, for kids' activities to begin engaging with the work. We also uh, have continued to remain in contact with Johnson County Public Health about their efforts. And the biggest thing is that we're folding it in to our resilience hub efforts. So. Um, both within the plan and then sort of shorter term planning within our office. We've got ideas about how to use that. But certainly if you all have other suggestions, you know, we're very open to that. This is Smith. I was just wondering if you were surprised by any of the data. I can't say that we were. I mean, um, we. it's not the first uh, data effort we've done in terms of mapping the heat islands. Part of the motivation to do this um, campaign was twofold. One was uh, to look at the after effects of the derecho and see if anything had significantly changed. Um, we didn't see any significant changes necessarily. Um, the other th part of it was, and I think this was actually the more important part of it, is as a community engagement tool, right? Like it's one thing for 
us in this room to know what heat islands are, you know, how to identify them, why they might be a problem in the community. It's a very different thing for community members to know about it and to be engaged in talking to their neighbors about it. Um, and actually, I think on that level, it was hugely successful. We still have folks reaching out to ask us about the heat islands and other ways they can be involved and thinking about what it means for their neighborhood. And this gentleman who called, you know, thinking about the Climate Action Grant. Those are conversations that we did not see happening with our office previously. And it just, I think, drives home, like, the ways that data can be really powerful when you yourself have had a hand in gathering it or you've been part, you know, you know a neighbor who has that somehow reads differently than data that just sort of comes from a federal agency that you may or may not know what the acronym stands for elsewhere, right? Because at the end of the day, heat islands aren't rocket science, like where you don't have a lot of trees and you have a lot of concrete, you're going to have more heat islands, right? Um, but in terms of engaging folks with that knowledge and what are the strategies to address it, I think it's been a very successful campaign. And I really want to say, like, huge credit on this one goes to Danny and Megan on this effort. Danny did a lot of work to help secure the grant, and Megan did a lot of work to organize the volunteers. And that is a tricky volunteer organization event because we didn't know until just a few days beforehand when we were going to be able to go out and take the data, right? It was weather dependent. And so to be able to organize enough volunteers to make sure you have coverage on a moment's notice and that the people who aren't picked still like you, <laughs> that's a tough task. I mean, I think it's a real credit to the team we have here and their efforts. And I was on vacation when it happened, so I can take no credit at all. <laughs> so. So we don't do enough of this. Congratulations. Thank you very much. You're behind the scenes and you're working your tails off, and we appreciate that. I have one more question. This is Ida Lynch again. Um, are there, do you think there are opportunities with this data to engage, uh, I don't know, like builders in thinking, like as we develop? portions of the city or redevelop portions of the city to engage them in thinking about how they build or what landscaping they do or how they might minimize concrete, you know, open piles of concrete <laughs> to minimize the heat islands. Like, is there either engagement work or are there things we can look to in the future around, like, different regulations mm -hmm. or zoning mm -hmm. codes? Um, I think one of the ways it will be really beneficial in terms of timing is, you know, we're getting ready to do the comprehensive plan update. And I think uh, having the data in the hands of our planning staff is useful. Um, in terms of engaging specific builders, I'm sure there is. I don't know exactly what that is. You know, probably it flows more from zoning than it does from someone seeing the data and having a conversion of their heart. <laughs> but, yeah. Like the way we construct parking lots or, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. This is Sturdivant. Um, going off that, since we were reaching out to builders for, you know, insulation and all these things, is this, like, heat island mapping something we could put in 
with like a packet we give, like information we give out to them saying, hey, these spots don't have many trees. Try not to cut, <laughs> cut them down when you're, you know, building your new property or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something that can be distributed or is it just the heat island maps, the heat island map and that's its own separate thing? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think we can always share information, always. Um, yeah, I think we just have to think about how to do it effectively. This is Gade. Sorry, I have, an, I have a question. Um, for, you know, most of the concentrated areas, it seems, you know, obviously downtown. But for city-owned lands, is it a thought of when redoing the comprehensive plan to look at this too to see, you know, current areas that we could plant more trees or create, you know, more of a tree canopy in those areas? Um, you know what this is all telling me is we need to bring in Tyler Baird <laughs> to talk about the city's tree planting strategy because I think he's going to give you more satisfying and detailed answers mm -hmm. than I can. I do know that our forestry department does think about it a lot when they uh, target areas um, to the things go hand in hand, right? Like when they target areas for tree planting, they're thinking about areas where the canopy is a little thinner, right? And where the canopy is a little thinner is where we see the heat islands. So, um, and I know that one of the things they're thinking about in targeting those areas is reducing the heat stress for the residents in that area and for the infrastructure there. So it's a long-winded way of saying yes, um, but certainly we can get a more detailed response if you all would be interested in having the city forester come in and talk to us. Yeah, all right, I'll add it to the to-dos. Tyler Baird is one of the nicest human beings on this earth and certainly in city administration, so you will enjoy hearing from him. He has something like 60 cat statues in his office <laughs> and many, many potted plants, so. And this is Fraser. I, uh, I'm sure you're all aware that during the heavy snow, we lost a lot of evergreens. We didn't lose deciduous trees. But uh, I, I have a lot of trees on, in my yard, way more than I should, and I lost six of them that were upwards of 30 years old. And I feel badly I wasn't there to bang the snow off, but I understand it snowed so hard I might not have been able to save them anyway. There was so much weight in the top, they toppled over and knocked over trees next to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that happened a lot in Iowa City. So the timing might be really good to have a tree match program or something. Mm -hmm. uh, to fit in with the island mm -hmm. concept. Mm -hmm. We donate a tree if somebody puts in a tree or some silly thing that might uh, make greener. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the value of deciduous trees versus uh, evergreens relative to what our goals are, but I think either one of them are a winner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Tyler would say our key goal is to diversify our tree canopy, right? Um, and actually, he and I were talking about that event recently, and he referred to it as a mini derecho in terms of its impacts on the city. So there were quite a few trees lost. But we'll invite him in. That'll be a fun discussion. Move on cool. to upcoming events. 
Yes, upcoming events. Um, the first event is being organized by our AmeriCorps team. They're hosting um, a forum that looks at sustainability in local government, and they have a variety of speakers who are going to be participating in that, including Megan and also Becky Soglin from Johnson County, who some of you may know from her time on the Climate Action Commission. So if anyone has any interest in attending that event, please feel free to reach out to Megan, who can get you more details from our AmeriCorps team. And then we are launching, um, you may have seen the call go out for our next Climate Ambassador training. Uh, we're actually retooling the training. We're excited about this. Like the long-term vision has always been to try to have the trainings in person rather than on Zoom and to incorporate more field trips into it um, instead of after the fact, as poor Zach had to come back after completing the training to take those tours. Um, so there's some really, I think, interesting things afoot with that. If you know people who would be interested in participating in the training. We, at this point, have had several uh, commission members recently appointed who went through the training first, and that's how they first became involved. So it's a nice way of replenishing your ranks as well as getting the word out about what we're doing with climate action. So if you know anyone, please encourage them to apply. And Gabe and John, I know you've both been through that training. Do you have anything to add about it or any words of encouragement to help inspire folks to get their friends to sign up? It's just really enlightening, and as a member of the commission, it it uh, really gave me a lot of background and knowledge that I didn't have. So I felt uh, really empowered learning more and uh, developed a habit of wanting to learn even more. I think that's the key, is once you immerse yourself in this type of training, you're open to more of the same. Uh, this is third event for me, going through it kind of showed what the city's working on behind the scenes that you don't see. You hear all this stuff and then it's like, oh, there's a packet and it's like, oh, okay, there's a packet and it ends up being, you know, what is it, like 200 pages or mm -hmm. something like that. So you, you get to see a lot more of, hey, here's why we're doing it. Here's what our future goals are. So if you're interested, it's definitely worth it. And certainly if any of you are interested in taking it and you haven't before, you're very welcome to apply as well. We can't promise we will grease the wheels to get you a priority placement. But one of the nice things about having it in person is I think we're going to be able to accommodate a few more people than we have in the past. So that's really nice. Anything to add, Megan? I guess other than the application's live now on the website, and it will close February 18th. Unfinished and ongoing business. Um, I'm going to turn the floor over to Danny for this next one. Um, our climate action grants, we uh, are making some updates to that program. We uh, took the opportunity to look over how it's been performing over the last few years and have made some tweaks that we think are going to add some clarity to the process and also, I think, better align the grants with where we'd like to see them going and other funding opportunities that we have. Um, so Danny's going to talk to you a bit about that. And then fair warning. At the end of it, he's going to make a pitch for two members to sign on as volunteers to help with the review committee on that. So if, if for some reason you don't feel like nominating yourself to be chair or vice chair today, a way you could make it up to us would be to serve on this committee. <laughs>
All right, Danny. All right. Um, since we have some uh, new members with us, I'll just briefly go over um, um, what climate action grants are. So community climate action grants um, are uh, offered to uh, businesses and nonprofit organizations in amounts up to $10,000 for a project which can be completed in the course of one year, um, uh, which align with the clim climate action um, and adaptation plan. So these would be um, projects which either increase energy efficiency, encourage low or no emissions transportation, minimize waste and or consumption of valuable resources, or support and promote sustainable activities um, and connections, or promote uh, pre preparedness and resilience. So as you saw in your packet, there's been a few updates um, uh, this year um, to uh, the uh, grants. Um, so starting this year, we're only going to um, uh, support the purchase of equipment, supplies, or physical goods. Um, funds will not be available for programmatic costs or um, um, activities or events. Um, we think this will, um, um, this focus on physical purchases will um, simplify, simplify the scoring of grant applications and um, the verification of how the funds are spent and more easily assign um, an emissions reduction to those uh, projects. Um, in the past, we've asked um, applicants to estimate the greenhouse gas reductions um, of their projects. Um, going forward, Climate Action staff will calculate those reductions for them and include those calculations um, in the, uh, the scoring committee um, for that review. Um, it'll make it easier for the applicants and, um, again, make it more verifiable that we're actually um, putting forward projects that reduce emissions. Um, new for this year, um, organizations that are awarded funding will now be required to present a brief update on the progress of the project about halfway through um, to this commission. Um, in the past, they have um, provided a written update, but um, presenting to this uh, commission will offer uh, more transparency and um, <coughs> um, just help uh, reduce paperwork burden on, on their end. Um, and uh, tracking that paperwork on our end. Um, finally, if a project is not able to be completed as described on the application, the organization is going to forfeit that grant for that current funding period. Um, but they can uh, f be free to apply the following year uh, without any penalty. Um, in the past, there's been some projects which um, the organization ran into some difficulty, um, and they would work with uh, climate action staff to retool um, or, in some cases, completely uh, redesign their project on the fly. Um, that's added a lot of uh, extra work and stress on our part um, and on the organization that um, uh, was awarded the grant, so we feel that it'll just make things go a lot uh, more smoothly. Um, and um, keep these projects moving forward rather than um, chasing uh, potential projects as the grant cycle is, is ongoing. So um, does anybody have any questions about those changes? This is Sturdivant. <clears throat> Pardon me. So when, like, if they're not able to complete it as, say, you know, is there like a supply issue thing there is like, okay, well, 
lumber triple. Is there any leeway in that, or is it if they can't do it how they said they were going to do it, it's done for that time? Um, in that case, there might be um, some sort of a leeway, but um, like we've seen in the past, especially with solar uh, projects that we funded, um, they ran into supply chain issues and weren't able to complete that project until the year after. So it might make even it might even make more sense to have them reapply the next year um, when those supplies are available. Part of it is a, a fairness question. You know, they're applying for a particular project against other projects, and if those other projects aren't selected, right, but then this organization gets to change their project, it's really not fair to the other, other organizations that didn't get the grant, right? And what this allows us to do is make it very clear, um, as it always should have been, that you're getting an award for a project, not an endorsement of you as an organization. Like, here's a blank check, go have fun, right? There's a specific thing that you're being scored on against other specific things that are also getting scored on, and that's what gets the funding. But in an instance like that, you know, where they do run up against it, and it's worth noting, that although we say they have a year to spend the funds, they apply in March, they find out in April that they've got approval, they can't start the project until July, and then they have until the following June. So in reality, they have something like 14 or 15 months to get all their ducks in a row and get the project completed. Um, and if they can't do it in that time and they forfeit under the system, they'll be able to apply without penalty the following year, right? So put the same project up, which hopefully would compete just as well in the future. But in the meantime, you're not disadvantaging any other organization that is also applied. This is Harrelson. I, I was wondering, are we reimbursing on actual costs then, or is this an upfront grant uh, for their projected costs, or how does that work? It's a reimbursement grant. Okay. And they have to show actual costs right. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and then do, is there any consideration of matching funds or cost sharing or anything like that? Have we ever looked at that? It is part of the application. Um, I don't know. Um, historically, it really hasn't been um, weighted in the scoring rubric. We don't require it. Part of the vision behind these grants is it's sort of grants for beginners. And the idea is that you get this grant, and you sort of understand how the grant process works. And then now you're in a position to apply for bigger grants from the city and other departments right? that may look for an in-kind donation. So we encourage folks to think about it. Um, and it does get taken into consideration when the applications are reviewed, but it's not a requirement. And partly that's because we do want to lower the bar as much as we can for organizations organizations who might be first-time grant applicants to participate. This is Shetty. Are you uh, going to uh, do emissions calculations through the EPA portfolio manager, or are you using something else for the project? I think it's going to depend on a case-by-case -case, um, based on what kind of project it is, mm -hmm. um, buildings versus transportation. Sure. Maybe some of them could be recruited for the energy benchmarking. Too. Yeah. yeah. We're requiring that now of all the folks who go through the TIF program. So 
Um, yeah, that's a great idea. And part of the vision there, too, is, you know, in the past, we've had folks do their own calculations. And we don't, I mean, we like it when they show us the math, but we don't always know how they're doing it. We don't know if they're comparing apples to oranges when they're comparing against other organizations. So part of what we're doing here is relieving them of the burden. But we're also, this is another move toward consistency to make sure that we've got a really fair process so that everybody's getting judged by the same standards for the emissions reductions which if you've ever done emissions reductions calculations, you know often they're an estimate multiplied by an average and given a little rounding. <laughs> I'll just say I really like the, um, the idea that the grantees will come and present in front of the commission. I think that's a great way for us to see what's happening and um, be able to tell those stories too to the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that being said, um, it's a great opportunity for um, all of you to participate um, in the process. So um, like Sarah mentioned, we are looking for two volunteers uh, to serve on that uh, uh, scoring committee. I would like to volunteer. This is Gade. Yep. Shetty I'm, here. I would. Oh, go ahead. I actually have a question on the timeline, of what the timeline is. For so um, the applications go live March 1st and will be due on April 1st. So the f we will be looking to convene the committee and assign scores um, hopefully the first somewhere in the first two weeks of uh, April. There are other members of city staff who sit on that committee as well. So we have some, um, you may recall Sarah Walls from an earlier presentation. She sits in, so we've got a transportation planner perspective. Who else do we have on that committee? In the past, we've had uh, Doug Black representing a, um, sort of a uh, building's perspective. Um. <laughs> we just found out Doug's moving into another position today. We're all a little heartbroken. Um, and um, new for this year, we do uh, plan on inviting Jane Welch to um, bring a waste perspective as well. It's okay if you want to. Can't do it in April. Okay. I will volunteer, but I, but I don't want to step on any. But if someone else is really excited, please, please do. <clears throat> I would too. Are, are we limited to two people? I don't know. It it gets tricky when we get a lot of um, a lot of different folks because uh, you've got to line all the schedules to get together. But I would say um, we should favor Zach. This is a great way for you to get involved. Yeah, I'll jump in. <laughs> and then I don't know if I can come. Maybe I'll come. <laughs> I was going to suggest um, maybe um, listing the three of you, and once we look at schedules, if someone's schedule looks more um, uh, flexible or has more availability during um, the um, grant uh, period, we can um, maybe assign an alternate. Yeah, that works. We just want to make sure if there, the big thing is if there's ends up a need for two meetings, which sometimes there has in the past, we have to make sure that the same people are there for both meetings to ensure consistency. But. We're excited to have them come in and present on their um, projects too. We think this is going to increase accountability and also just be a great way for you guys to hear what's going on. So, cool. So even if you aren't on the committee, 
and you should not let this hold you back from volunteering to be on the committee. You will still get to hear about these projects. Thanks to our volunteers. Virginie? Oh, yeah. Um, so next up, you may recall, um, we've been working on visioning uh, indicators of success. I know, Zach, you've done a really good job of going back over uh, old minutes, so I, I think you're fairly well up to speed on this process. Um, where we thought we would pick back up today is um, because we've had a bit of a gap between, you know, December we had a short meeting, January we didn't have a meeting, and now here we are, February, resuming the discussion, is uh, the one angle we haven't really looked at is equity. And certainly we've had a lot of discussions in the commission about centering equity on our work and thinking, I will say, within the office we talk a lot about shifting how we talk about our climate actions to say, in recognition of the fact that there are so many different climate actions we should we can be undertaking, like we want, instead of saying we want to look for activities that reduce emissions that then have, you know, equitable benefits, that we want to look for equitable actions that reduce emissions, really, to bring it to the heart of the work we do, right? Um, and so we thought it would be a good idea uh, as a way to revive the discussion to go back and think about the uh, indicators of success that we've already generated and just give a little moment's thought to if we if we did this equitably what what would indicate our success you know as you're going through the community how would you know that we had prioritized the needs of the most vulnerable uh, residents in Iowa City, first and foremost, in our actions. And um, up till now, we've really been thinking long term, you know, in 2050, what does it look like when we succeed? One of the great things about an equity lens is equity lives in the moment, right? And we haven't had a chance to talk about short term, what are the indicators of success? And I think when we think about it from an equitable lens, um, that naturally brings the short term in more into view. So um, we wanted to give everybody a moment to scan through the climate action discussions and look at these items um, that we've already listed and then maybe take a chance to like put a couple stars next to ones that you think have particular intersections with equity. Um, at the same time, ask yourself, are there equitable actions that aren't on this list that maybe should be? And then we'll discuss as a whole. There is stuff on the back, too, if you're looking at the page. So. Thanks, Gabe.
Does anyone have any thoughts they'd like to kick us off with? I think I have a lot of thoughts, um, but I guess the first thing that pops up, this is Gade. Um, I think especially when talking about electric vehicles, I do think about like affordability and I know that there are really affordable options, but it's more like the upkeep of that too. Um, and especially, I feel like there was new, I guess Johnson County got um, kind of a notice of, hey, we're, we're no longer using our charging ports because you have to pay extra to get it configured the way that's law, that, that's it within the policy. You know more about this than I do, but it just seems like an extra barrier is put into place too. Um, but I'm thinking more of like households that, you know, would like one, but can't necessarily install mm -hmm. that to charge it at home or um, just paying for electricity to, to do that too. So I think more just like lower socioeconomic status kind of comes to mind with how do we look at equitable options, I suppose, in that realm. Yeah, so I, I think what you're referring to is Johnson County had to had two parking meters in the parking lot for employees to use. Um, as we know, the state of Iowa uh, enacted um, uh, regulation last year charging. You have to levy a tax for non-residential charging, right? And Johnson County's found it very difficult to put in the necessary upgrades to uh, collect that tax in their, at their charging stations. And so they've had to turn them off until they can figure out how to comply with the law. And so it, um, I think, I think I'm hearing a couple things and correct me if any of them are wrong. One of them is just access to charging, which is certainly something we've talked about in the past, that if you have to rely on public charging and can't charge at home, like that can become a barrier. Um, but also the overall affordability of the upkeep of both the vehicles and the charging and being able to support charging at home. Am I capturing yeah. it correctly? Yeah, I think that captures it. Okay. Not to be anti-electric vehicles at all, <laughs> but yes, just other considerations. This is Shetty. I feel like the moment will come for electric vehicles, but the market situation and a lot of things have to come together before it is really an equitable idea for everyone to have an electric car. Um, I do wonder if it's something that could be put into building codes for garages to have some mm -hmm. sort of port already in existence. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think the next bullet on the list of smaller, more efficient vehicles, fewer cars overall, increased use of transportation alternatives is what we need now to increase equity. Yeah, this is Harrelson. I, I highlighted that one as well between the yeah electric buses and increased use of transportation and <clears throat> equitable access to that transportation in the way the route planning is done. And I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of work that goes into that and that's always thought about, but um, just uh, increase e e even more so. Right? Mm -hmm. This is Einan Lynch. Um, I have a lot of them starred. <laughs> so, uh, 
as along with the um, access to alternative transportation, but even the first one enhanced walking and bike paths. I did have a question about this. Speeds below 55 miles per hour. That seems extremely high for me, <laughs> to me, for safety. So I was wondering if that was a typo or if that's intended. It was something that came up in the discussions, but we have a bit of good news on that front. We actually don't have streets anywhere in Iowa City where you are allowed legally to drive at 55 miles per hour. So, I would think we would want a goal of like... One uh, objective achieved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to change it to like 25 miles per hour. <laughs> like if we're talking about, yeah, really navigable streets that are safe for walking and biking um, and protected bike paths. So anyway, I would move that to 25 miles per hour, and then and then I would start that one. <laughs> For um, the entire city, or just in residential areas? Um, certainly in residential areas, but I think it's worth looking at some of like where big roads go through very uh, dense areas or areas where there's a lot of um, bike and kid travel. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other ones I had stars starred are around um, like smaller homes built on smaller lots, um, using prefabricated building materials, um, ones around increased mixed use development, like combining residential and commercial spaces, really making places walkable. Um, I think that has an equity impact on the kinds of services that people can access. Um, more green spaces, more trees. That we know that makes an impact on heat islands. I'm trying not to say all of mine because I can talk for a long time. So I will. <laughs> I have more start, but I will leave over to for others to speak as well. Uh, this is Sturdivant. I I don't know how much of an you, you could probably tie equity into it, but the reduced light pollution from streetlights along with more green areas how do we plant trees and make them green without, you know, how do you keep people safe walking along the street if the trees block out the lights, but you need the trees to, oh, you know, it's, I was thinking of like you, you know, the street lights are in the trees and I mean, even the city comes through and chops them around power lines and stuff, but. I How think you were talking safe? about the, there's also health impacts to being around light all the time and not having darkness at night it has negative health impacts. So I thought that's where you were going. No, so I'm going. Like two sides well, of that. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, downtown you're, you know, obviously have the issues, but you know, and I have two street lights on my street and it's like, there's areas that's complete black. And so how do you mix the trees in with keeping people safe? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much of an equity issue that is, but th it could be something that's, you know, this is light Murray. in walkways or um, something. <laughs> no, I was just going to say in terms of uh, the street lights, so Mid-American Energy puts in most of the street lights around the city, um, and they put them the, where the city of Iowa City requests them. And we had complaints that they weren't illuminating sidewalks, and we're told by the city that actually the street lights are for traffic. They, are, they don't have anything in their code about illuminating for walking. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was interesting, mm -hmm. so I thought I'd share it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Thank you for that. Because, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I, I get, you know, for traffic, but at the same time, right. if it's completely black, you know, if you take out the street yeah. light, how do you keep people safe from walking into traffic? So. Oh, no. I would be so mad if they put a street light on my street. It's interesting. <laughs> it's so dark, I love it. <laughs> Give everybody a headlamp. So <laughs> Yeah, I, this is Smith. I also highlighted some of the ones that have already been discussed about active transportation options, being able to have walking and biking transit options. Um, 15 minute cities, I think a lot of us attended that workshop on Friday. And so, um, and equity was discussed quite a bit in regards to that concept and so, um, one of the things I think about too with data collection and making, um, well, like protected bike lanes. I think that they're like a really great thing and I would love protected bike lanes. And then our, by putting protected bike lanes in certain communities, thinking about equity as we do that is a really important thing to be thinking about. Just leave it at that. Could you talk a bit more about that, Angie? What you're thinking about in terms of being mindful of where we're putting protected bike lanes? I think it's a really, uh, um, oh, it's a complex concept actually that that is something that I think quite a bit about. So I think certainly making sure that we are talking to all of our residents when we're like, I would love it if we had protected bike lanes, if we have meetings and the only people that show up certainly surveys a certain demographic and then we're missing out on other demographics. So making sure that we're getting input from all citizens of Iowa City. Um, recently I've been doing some more reading too though on um, equity and protected bike lanes are things that people want. And so then if there's a protected bike lane that comes into a community, then is that like contributing to gentrification and those sorts of things as well. So um, lot, lots of variables to be thinking about, but, um, but I know that we are a so socially conscious community. And so we do take, do a pretty good job about thinking about equity already, but. Lots of things to think about. It's a complex topic. Just to kind of clarify, this is sort of it. Um, are you saying like, hey, we put one here versus somewhere that may need it more, like prioritizing areas that may not need it as much, but people show up to the meetings and so it, oh, we need it here, but you kind of don't. I, so I think that is one of the things, right? Like making sure that we survey residents who could maybe benefit from it more um, I just like that's what I thought but, you were saying, but I just wanted to. but then I think on the flip side too, when we build into when we build protected bike lanes into underserved neighborhoods, then that becomes an appealing neighborhood that then becomes gentrified. I don't mean I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's really I, I a complex thing that I 
think we could sit here and talk about at great length. But I'm a big fan of protective bike lanes, and I wish we had one <laughs> or two <laughs> or several. <clears throat> this is Gade. Something that kind of came up, and <clears throat> this would be more of um, like how you communicate, but just translating um, education or information into other languages mm -hmm. too so that we can reach diverse populations. Uh, so this is Grim. Um, I actually liked uh, the more energy efficient homes, although there's a real danger in focusing too much on future homes. Um, you know, I think there's real issues out there with the existing homes that need to be addressed. But what I like about this is it addresses the future as, as well as the past um, by kind of elevating that topic. Um, I also like the idea of increased mixed-use development. Um, and that kind of mixes in with that new homes um, and really solves, in my mind, some long-term issues, uh, whereas you don't need as much infrastructure as far as transportation and that if you have you know, everything relatively close, um, walkability and that. Um, and I think both of those can speak to uh, equity, especially, you know, old, older homes or um, smaller homes with new families and that, um, as well as, you know, the, you know, like a mixed development, um, like downtown and being able to just walk to the store and, and whatnot. So those are my two top topics. Is there anything that seems to be missing from the list? If we think about equity. This is Harrelson. I might jump in again because as I've been watching the videos from the past few months, because I have been doing that, and my husband has been making fun of me for just sitting and watching climate action meetings. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, one of the things, and I'll, I'll kind of tie it into the increased solar adoption and diversified energy resources, um, but one of the things that I would have added to the list too would be. Um, sort of, yeah, d distributed energy production and storage, right, mm -hmm. throughout the city um, and having an eye towards equitable application of those resources and making sure that um, all levels of income and housing um, have access to not just solar but also battery storage and any other type of distributed energy production type of things. And that's, yeah, thinking long-term, right, 2050 still. Mm -hmm. but. I think what you might be getting at, Zach, is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, some of the discussions we've had about um, prioritizing enabling people to shelter in place rather than saying, you know, disadvantaged members of the community need to go and sleep in a gym while others can stay at home like making sure everybody has the resources to stay in their home if that's where they want to be in an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. It says greater regional collaboration. What region are you looking at? <laughs> it's your list. <laughs> what region would you like us to be looking at? That's my question. <laughs>
So this is Fraser. I uh, bring something up I either appropriately or inappropriately brought up before. I'm concerned that we still, even though we're focusing on equity, we may force a certain socioeconomic group to move to another side of the railroad tracks, those that don't want to share their cars and their bicycles, those that don't want smaller houses, those that don't want mixed commercial and housing. And I don't have the answer to that because the only answer that I can think of is legislate them, make it mandatory that they share their bicycle. And we, we can't do that. Uh, it's not appropriate. So I think we're resolving a lot of issues with these. And at the same time, we're not going to end up with this homogeneous, ideal world because there'll be a number of people who have the resources to go off and own their big cars and their big houses and on the hill on the other side of the tracks. And maybe I shouldn't worry about that. It does concern me, though. Every town's got a wrong side of the tracks. And I'd hate to do something that ended up with unintended consequences of uh, gentrification, whatever you want to call it. Well, I'm moving out of here. I'm not sharing my garden with anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build a $20 million house with a five-acre garden and put a fence around it and electrify it, mm -hmm. keep everyone away. And I'm going to keep my Mercedes, and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But I think this, this perfect world where with this ideal, homogeneous fairyland, and I don't mean to be cynical, I, I believe in this. And I think there's a, there's a risk that will drive some people away and maybe we don't care. You know, one thing that I think about when I think about this particular issue, and thank you so much for bringing it up, is that often when we and I mean, not just we in this room, but big we writ large, think about equity, we often approach it in terms of these are the things we want, and we want to make sure that you all, whoever the you all are, get them as well, and that's equitable, right? Um, and I think maybe an important reframing in the climate context, it begins with recognizing that a lot of our most vulnerable households are already low-carbon households because they don't necessarily have the resources to lead a high carbon lifestyle, to have a huge house and a big gas guzzling car and to travel out of town for work, right? And quite possibly another way to frame up the way we think about equity, instead of saying we want these things and we want you to have them too, is to say you're already doing a lot of these things that we would like to be doing. How can we learn from you and build our community around some of the things you're already doing? to be more in step with the low-carbon life that you, you are leading. And thank you for those efforts. I don't know. I sometimes find it a useful way to think about it. But like everything, it has limits, right? Interesting. Well, thank you so much for the generosity of your thoughts and time. Where we're going to go next with this, and this is something to really think about um, as you take this discussion home, is um, in our next meeting, we'd like everybody 
to identify what you think the top three priorities are in terms of as we think about metrics in particular and thinking about this discussion we've had regarding equity and all these other indicators. Um, we'll begin the discussion by asking everybody to read out what you think, like what are the things we should be measuring, right? Um, and then we'll try to um, offer up some suggestions about, which is to say we'll invite you to offer up some suggestions about ways we might be measuring those things. And then the staff will take it back and we'll take a look at what data exists, what data do we think we could get, what data um, might be more difficult, and we'll come back and uh, start drafting a memo together on recommendations. We'll let you know what our recommendations would be, and then you can take us to task and say, work harder, <laughs> or uh, what have you. Does that sound like a good plan of attack? Can we pick more than three? There's so many good ones on here. That... Um, well, the idea is if everybody picks three, you're not all going to pick the same three, <laughs> right? I was thinking and, more in terms of five or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they don't have to be the ones that we settle on ultimately, but we just kind of want to see you know, how they distribute, I think that'll be helpful for us. Because ultimately, the other thing to keep in mind, and we're certainly very mindful of this, is we'd love to get data on all these things, right? But, um, you know, there's this aphorism in the business community that you can have something be cheap, fast, or good, pick two, right? And that applies to data as well. Like, we can get you inexpensive data quickly. It's not going to be good data. We can get you good data inexpensively, it's gonna take time, you know, or whatever the third configuration is. I'm not smart enough to keep track of my own <laughs> three things. Um, and so one of the things we wanna do is figure out like where can we put our best efforts so we're getting good information to help guide our decisions, but not siphoning off a whole bunch of time into collecting those metrics instead of delivering services to the community, which is ultimately what I think we're all here to do. Right? So thank you for helping us drill down on that. That's very useful. Now the moment you've all been waiting for. Yes. We can look silently at each other. <laughs> Our annual ritual. <laughs> Yes, it is now time to nominate a chair and vice chair for this year. Um, as I have said before, I think uh, being a chair is a great opportunity to um, get to dive in a little deeper on some issues with Sarah every month and, um, and a great stepping stone to maybe future leadership. like building our leadership capacity, maybe a future run for city council. So I highly encourage it, and it, but it's not, it's not a lot of time or a lot of pressure. It's an extra hour a month. An extra hour a month. And we can do it on the phone or Zoom. <laughs> Good for your resume. Would anyone care to nominate someone or um, volunteer to serve as chair? This is Sturvin. I volunteer as chair. I was also going to nominate Jamie Gade for chair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
someone else told me ahead of time that they were out of the running, so. I didn't give you a heads up, though. Oh. <laughs> Was that you that's out of the running? <laughs> she's going to kill me, but Brenda Shetty for chair. She's already told me she doesn't want to do it. <laughs> I told her it'd be good for a resume, and it only takes an hour a month, which I just learned. I didn't realize that, and I was a previous chair. <laughs> Well, I do. Uh, this is Jetty. I would like to say that the um, appointment of being on this commission has been really gratifying and fulfilling, and I, f I find a lot from it as a citizen of Iowa City. But because I'm here as a representative of the University of Iowa and I can't really make decisions for the University of Iowa, I sort of feel a little conflicted about being a chair for a, a commission of this sort. That's a new excuse. <laughs> Just so you know, you have no authority in this. <laughs> well, now everyone knows how I feel. And I would also like to nominate, I think that Gabe and Jamie would be great. I'd like to nominate Ben Grimm also, because I've been here for about a year and I've seen a lot from him too. I like Shetty's excuse <laughs> for the school district. Um, I'm actually chairing um, four or five other committees, so I'd, I'd just rather not just because of workload. So That's the proof that you're the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> Want to get done right, get a busy guy. I appreciate the nomination. I can't help you out with this one. You literally have to do this one yourselves. <laughs> Well, I would accept the nomination, but I, if I'm open to other, other folks too. Honestly, I would like to nominate Michael because you you do such a great job too. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I will not accept not because uh, I wouldn't do it, but because I do think it's important to to spread out um, leadership. I, but thank you. I understand. <laughs> Procedurally, how do we do this? Um, well, you've got a couple, yeah, you can, so you could move um, for one person as service chair and the other as vice chair. I. We'll say, historically, um, part of the thinking has been um, with past commissions, this isn't in the bylaws, I want to make very clear that it's not something you have to adhere to, but um, past commissions, and uh, John, correct me if I'm wrong about this, part of the vision has been that the vice chair, in a way, is sort of a way of moving into the chair position, like you get a chance to back up and try it. Um, and learn the ropes and then move into that position the following year. So one way you could do this would be to um, uh, follow that process and move that Gabe assume the chair and Jamie um, become vice chair. Um, you can break a pool cue in the middle of the room and <laughs> let them fight it out themselves. <laughs> also not in the bylaws. 
probably not a joke I should make. So, How much really, pool do you play? Yeah. Um, you could you could ask you could ask each member to uh, talk a little about why they want to be chair or uh, qualifications or more about why you think. What you need to do is nominate one person, have some discussion, and then vote on it. Then nominate another person, have some discussion, and then vote on it. If we go to Robert's Rules of Order. I would be comfortable being the other nominee. Gabe has done a fantastic job as, as vice chair, and I would just rather decline the nomination for chair and then move Gabe to chair and then do nominations for vice chair. So is the next steps, is that just a movement? Yeah, someone moves, someone seconds. You ask for any discussion. If there is none, then you vote. I'll move for Gabe to take over his chair. I can second that. Smith, second. Any discussion? And Gabe, would you, would you like to say why you want to be chair? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I really, it doesn't bother me either way. I enjoy my time as co-chair. I learn so much doing, you know, just even filling in occasionally and talking with Sarah. So I have no preference either way, whatever you guys decide. Well, that's great. That's because you're Midwestern and you're nice, but <laughs> why do you want to, like, what do you, why do you want to be chair? Resume? <laughs> <laughs> um... I, I don't know. I have no, I don't like public speaking, so I think maybe that might be a good way to to get out there, public speaking, mm -hmm. talk in front of nine people every mm -hmm. once in a while. That's the, only, that's the only excuse I can come up with, so. Any other discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? I now, uh, W. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gabe Sertivand, our next chair. And um, nominations for vice chair. I'll just go ahead and uh, nominate Jamie. This is Murray, I'll second. Oh, were you making a movement? <laughs> I'm still not quite clear on that. We didn't need to I second the nomination, but. <laughs> well, I, I, guess I'll, I guess for procedure, I will say that was just a nomination, and then there other, uh, people can nominate others. Okay. Withdraw my second. <laughs> such an awkward thing. Any other nominations? At least we don't have a secretary position, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right, I will make it an official motion. This is Murray. Now I will second. <laughs> <laughs> Any discussion? Jamie, would you like to tell us why you would be interested in vice chair? Yeah, I think I've learned a lot sitting um, on this commission for a year, and I feel more confident in asking questions. There are certain things I just don't know a lot about, more than ins and outs of um, that your background is. <laughs> um, but I, I have a passion for, for people in the community too, and I know this work is so important, and investing in this work is so important that will pay off for everybody um, for years to come. And so, yeah, I feel very passionate about this, and 
um, excited to learn more too, especially as, as co-chair and happy to help in any way, capacity as I can do as co-chair. Any other discussion? All right, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thanks. Jamie Gade, new yeah, vice Congratulations chair. to you both. Thank you. Yep. Gabe and Gade. No. <laughs> Good duo. If you notice, during, <laughs> if you notice during roll call, sometimes I call I out when you because it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, where are we? Oh, public correspondence. Mm -hmm. We had some. Yeah, yeah this is unusual. Yeah. Um, so we've received two emails uh, with specific requests to pass them on to the Climate Action Commission. Um, this has not come up before in the past, so I'll just run you through procedurally how this works. They were included in the agenda memo, or the agenda memo, the agenda packet for you to review. Um, you can, at this point, we need someone to move to accept correspondence so that it's formally entered into the uh, record. Um, just like we just had, after someone moves in seconds to accept it, we can have some discussion of the correspondence. You don't have to. Um, after whether you discuss it or not, or whether you choose to discuss it or not, it's entirely up to you. Um, from that discussion, you can um, ask to put specific things on the agenda in the future or just note that you thought it was interesting to have received this, however you'd like to proceed, and then, um, yeah, and then it gets entered into um, I, after a vote. So it's move, second, any discussion, and then a vote to accept the correspondence. So we vote twice? Accepting and then? Well, you vote once, uh, so you get a move, a second, discussion, and then you vote to accept it. Okay. And then if there's any action stemming from it, um, which I will say is unusual, but if there's action stemming from it, then you could also say, have a vote, like we also move to add this item to the agenda, or you actually, yeah, let's vote on it to be safe. Um, but I, as I'm saying these words out loud, I'm realizing we add things to it, the agenda all the time without voting on it, so we're probably okay either way. I'll just note it in future action items like we normally do. I just do. want to make sure it doesn't, like, it's not like the public addressing us in that, you know, somebody coming in. It, like, it's a completely separate kind of, okay. Right. We're just moving at this point to accept it. Sorry if that was muddled. I spent a lot of time in the clerk's office asking about this one because it's not come up before, so. This is Shetty. I move to accept the correspondence. This is Sturdivant, second. Discussion? Um, just as a, the two correspondences, one was um, from uh, Representative Newman Munson asking us to um, consider pushing our bike infrastructure further um, and maybe pushing towards a gold level standard in the friendly bike community framework. Um, and the second one was asking us to help um, advocate in the P and Procter and Gamble rezoning um, uh, help advocate or help citizens know what to do who are concerned about that 
rezoning. So any discussion? Well, I did. <laughs> Sorry. Um, when I when I saw the the email with with um, discussion about bike infrastructure and obviously it also included um, and I'm not sure how many people have looked at the bike master plan of Iowa City and the steps needed to move from silver to gold. Um, one of the first steps is protected bike lanes, but I <clears throat> wondered if. There's a few of us who are new-ish members, and you mentioned Sarah Walls has been to previous meetings, but I don't know if it's been a long time, but my proposal would be to have Sarah come and address us and talk about um, the bike master plan. Is there um, a discussion of updating the bike master plan? What are the things that she's working on to move from silver to gold? Are there things that we can do to help support her? Um, so that would, that would be how I would respond to that email is I, I'd love to have Sarah address us about the current bike master plan. I'm absolutely happy to arrange for that if others would like that as well. Actually, this is how all our conversations are going to sync up um, because I touched in with Sarah about this and apparently the... The report card aside, she touched in with them because we do apply for gold level status each year. And the pinch point on this one, this is actually an example of why we need to be thoughtful about data, mm -hmm. is the one thing that's currently disqualifying us is that um, to achieve gold standard, you have to have a certain ratio of bike lane miles to the number of miles in your town that uh, allow speeds of 55 or higher. And as you learned in this meeting, we don't have any streets that allow for 55 miles per hour. <clears throat> and so the math on that, you know, zero divided by anything is zero. And so <laughs> by this one metric, we're disqualified when one could argue by virtue of having a community where there are no streets that allow 55 mile per hour speed limits, we are more bike friendly than communities <clears throat> where you can drive that fast. So it's very interesting. Um, and she has other interesting things to say about it. If you'd like, I can certainly invite her. I think to get an update on the bike master plan is a wonderful idea. Yeah, I'm just, if, are we updating the bike master plan? Is there a work, you know, an idea to update it too? Mm -hmm. I didn't know, yeah. What's the highest speed limit, 45 for Iowa streets? I believe so. <clears throat> Don't you have feelings about that? I do. <laughs> I have feelings about how we're failing on a metric that is really just a math problem. My feeling is that we're not failing the metric. <laughs> failing. So, all right. Any other discussion on those two emails? On on the this is Harrelson on the second email uh i, I mean I, I i resonate with amory's feelings uh i'm i was curious what we can do i i don't know what interaction there ever is between the different commissions in the city or anything like that i did ask the city manager's office about this one as well um there's not a lot officially that 
uh, this commission can do, in part because it's listed as a zoning issue, and there is a zoning planning and zoning commission um, that it goes before. Um, the the thought is that um, I, I think it's important to express empathy, and thank you so much for doing that. Um, the thought is that if city council feels that there's something that the commission um, could offer above and beyond what the planning and zoning board is, um, because they have that background in zoning, um, that the city commission could request that the Climate Action Commission offer some advice on it. But um, I think there's a hesitation to put you, call upon you to be experts in an area that you're not experts in, if that makes sense. Um, and so um, possible ways forward would be to enter it into the record to recognize that it's been received. You could ask um, staff if we've received uh, other correspondence from this individual or how the city might be you know, following up on it. Um, I, to that end, I can tell you that other city staff departments have received it um, and that the planning and zoning folks are following up with this particular community member. Um, if you felt like it was important um, to invite them in so you could express empathy in person, you're certainly able to do that and we could reach out and see. Or we could, we being you, could say um, you're satisfied with where it is at the moment and are and can wait you know, to hear if the city council would like your specific opinions on this. Otherwise, we can just enter it into the record and recognize that it was received. This is Einan Lynch. Um, I'm curious about our role as a climate action commission. Like, we do not have the expertise, say, of the planning and zoning commission knowing the specific reasons for certain zoning categories and why we might change a zone. In this case, we're talking about moving a property that is currently zoned public to industrial. Um, but I do think we have a role in pushing on issues that maybe don't, aren't noticed by existing commissions or procedures. Like, are there issues here? And or do we have the data around what the, like this email is talking about um, toxic smells in the air. <coughs> do we as a city have that data and know if there is, there are <laughs> pollutants coming from existing industrial <coughs> over there. Um, because I think that like if a citizen's lived experience is saying, I know I am having negative effects from these pollutants, and if we as like a city kind of say like, well, but we're just looking at the zoning rules, you know, I think we're like missing something, and I don't know whose role that is to kind of right. pick that up and say, hey, let's look into this. 
So there are two issues here. One's the zoning issue, and the other is the air quality issue. And the zoning issue um, falls under the jurisdiction of the Planning and Zoning Commission. The air quality issue um, is, and this sounds kind of funny, it's an environmental issue. It's not necessarily a climate issue. Um, and it falls to the purview of the Department of Natural Resources who tracks air quality data for the state of Iowa and is in communication with the state about it. Um, and so I, you're the commission and you get to decide how you'd like to interact with this. Um, but I do want to encourage um, some caution that we're not wading into an area that does fall outside of the uh, both the stated mission of the commission and also just the expertise we have in the room, right? Um, which is to say, I, I think we all um, sympathize very deeply with this particular position. Um, do any of us, can we, can we speak to it beyond sympathy? That, that gets a little murky, right? And I, and I don't, in, in saying that, want to downplay the role of empathy or sympathy, right? Um, but I think in this particular instance, uh, it's important to be mindful of our function in this particular commission specific to its relation to the climate action goals um, as opposed to sort of larger issues that we all know and care about. And I know that's really uncomfortable for a lot of us. I just want to recognize that, like myself included. I think this is a really delicate question, right? Um, I hope that's useful guidance. Do you have, I, I'm certainly open to other questions you might have or further discussion or. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, you gotta be sympathetic to the, the individual, but this doesn't paint the whole picture of what's actually going on, right? And there's gonna be other discussions within the cities, within zoning, within like Sarah said, the, the DNR and stuff. And there's no guarantees that them buying land necessarily means that it's going to be industrial as far as factory. It could end up being um, uh, office buildings. <coughs> and with that, there's a different sets of rules, and that's really what those other governing bodies as well, the city kind of evaluates and dictates. So I don't think this is a commission, climate action commission responsibility or area that we should be really kind of diving into. Um, simply because we don't know the bigger picture to everything that's actually going on, um, nor do we have the expertise to kind of balance all those other things out. So just my two thoughts. You know, it strikes me we are going to have a representative of Procter & Gamble come and visit to talk about their environmental footprint. Certainly, <coughs> one thing the commission could do is say, we received this letter for a citizen, and we were wondering if you could speak to it, just so we have a better grasp of what they would have to say to it. Um, yeah. And of course, on our original committee, we had a member of Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. I, 
my sense, this is Fraser, my sense is we're the court of last hope. I, I think the people that wrote this, the author or authors, have probably gone to the well already and are coming to us because they haven't been successful in their other efforts. And I don't want to be cynical about it. But when I read that, I said, danger, danger, danger. And uh, I'm not surprised by your, your more proper term, delicate. Mm -hmm. We're advisory, we're advisory not to either of those commissions. We're advisory to the city council. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're advising the city council to override DNR and planning and zoning. And not that it wouldn't be appropriate in certain situations. You don't want to be a chicken your whole life. You want to step up when it's appropriate. But I don't see the evidence that would back us stepping up, and that's just what you indicated. This is sort of that's kind of my question too: is what what can we do? What what are we? What can, how can we respond? Is kind of. Um, so you, you, I'm not, I'm not going to say again, we could, the first option, because I've said it a million times and I want to like you to feel like I'm saying that's the only option. Um, you could, um, elect to have a, you could invite, you could ask us to invite people to come and speak. Um, that could be, uh, the DNR, it could be whoever, um, you could, um, if the commission wanted to act on it, you could form a subcommittee to get more information and report back to the commission and then see if the commission wanted to um, take an official position on it or provide some sort of advisory memo. Um, I, one of the obvious difficulties with that, of course, is that you know this matter will probably be settled before you have a chance to put that memo together. Um, and then the other is, of course, the danger of potentially speaking out of um, what you're called to speak on. Um, or you can say, um, you could send staff back to ask, you know, to make it clear. We could enter it into the minutes that um, should the city council want you to take up this and offer a position on it that you would be willing to do so. We've done that with other items in the past that we've had it um, in the minutes or had a formal memo that, yeah, if you want us to look more into this, we're happy to, but we're letting you take the lead on asking what kind of expertise you want weighing in on this. Um, if you have other ideas, you could bring them forward and I can tell you whether or not I think we could do that. Fraser, again, it's, it's a little cold-blooded and you'd want to clean up the language, but we tell them the facts that uh, we, we, we feel your pain. We have some concern about your concerns. And we've looked at our directives and it's not our role. In fact, the two organizations you need to deal with are planning and zoning and DNR. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. Just tell them it's not our role and we feel their pain. Would you like staff to formally follow up with this um, individual and convey I that message? I love to pass things off to staff. 
are we able to still accept it in into the minutes saying like hey we at least recognize that you've seen it now let's because i don't want to get into some you know like everybody else probably like we shouldn't be talking about something that we aren't supposed to be so um so are you asking can we just like can we put it in the minutes and say hey we looked at this this is how we want to address this so yeah we, we could we enter at least in ad admit that hey we read read it and we understand what the person said yeah and we can take a close look at the minutes in the next meeting to make sure that we've worded it to your satisfaction but we could say something to the effect that um the commission discussed the discussed the second letter expressed sincere sympathy um, for the situation inquired about what possible actions might be and at this time um, are electing to wait for city council to ask for further information but and are willing to give that should council ask for it and leave that as the minute item punting it without punting it really i mean that's kind of what we can do okay it's a hard one is that where we want to leave it with the minutes all right yeah. so, so we'll enter it into the minutes um, and then we just need to take a vote on accepting it into the, uh, accepting the correspondence. So we've already had the motion and the second to accept these two bits of correspondence in, into the record. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Um, and then we decided we don't need to vote on the agenda item to bring to get the bike master plan update yeah i've noted it down we'll invite sarah walls we'll include it in our action items from the last meeting next time cool. all right recap mm -hmm. oh <laughs> <laughs> I can say the confirmation of the next meeting um, is here, March 4th, 3.30 to 5 p.m. Um, and then any action items you've recorded down? Um, I've got two action items. One is to invite Tyler Baird to come and talk about the city's tree planting strategy. And another is to invite Sarah Walls to discuss the bike master plan. Um, given that we also are inviting someone from P&G, is there any one of those that you feel is more timely than the other? Should we stick with the plan of trying to have P&G at the next one and then look to Sarah and then Tyler or Tyler then Sarah? Or we've already established, I can't remember lists of three. So <laughs> does anybody have a preferred order? No? P&G, Sarah, Tyler. Okay. All right. So the P&G rep will not be here at the next meeting or will be here at the next um, meeting? We're hoping to get them at the next We were hoping to have them at this meeting, but we just couldn't get it all to align. So we'll aim for March. And if we can't get them at March, then we'll bump Sarah up. So they'll be, ex well, they won't be exposed to the minutes or will they? The Procter and Gamble rep? Mm-hmm. 
we'll just ask for an approval of the minutes. We're not going to rehash them. So. Right. That would. I mean, you can when we go to approve them. You could call out that specific item or. Uh, not I. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, like, I, I think. think oh, go ahead. I just. I think it's important that we can talk about. We maybe aren't the officials who are going to make some decision about what should happen with PNG, but we should be able to talk about and consider as a citizen board the implications of you know the health impacts or potential health impacts or be able to ask or talk about the data or if there is data for example i don't think we're like overstepping by talking about that we're not making any proclamations okay just want to say that. <laughs> My concern is, uh, as has as been stated now a couple times, the appropriate commissions are two other commissions, not us. And yeah, we can have conversations, but I don't know if it's appropriate. If they want to bring them up, I think we can have a discussion. I don't know that we should bring it up. Maybe I'm just old and beaten up. I think maybe we're disagreeing about what it is we're talking about. We can talk about it later. <laughs> um, okay, we have all the action items. Mm -hmm. Then it is time to adjourn, if one of you should so move. I can move to Smith to adjourn. Grim, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And I'll just note that we're adjourning at 5.15. Thank you all for staying a little later this evening. And welcome again, Zach. Thanks.